Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. My name is Christopher Turner. I am your host. Uh, thank you for being patient with me, guys. I know it's been a while since I've been back on here. Um, I've had a very, very hectic life going on the last couple, two weeks or so. Uh, I've been trying to get kind of a schedule, a rhythm figured out here in Las Vegas, and it's been it's been harder than I expected, honestly. Um, I've been staying very busy with uh, that new job that I've been doing, right? Working with my buddy and kind of learning his trade, and, and uh, he works with... Um, like vinyl printing, uh, large sign printing, and then also with like uh, uh, like wrapping cars and like vinyl as well instead of painting. It's it's really been a fun experience, uh, kind of kind of going into a different trade and learning the ins and outs of it, and and especially working around cars. Um, I've been able to work on some really cool vehicles and stuff that I never thought I'd be able to work on, and uh, it's been there's been a lot of positives that have come out of it, but uh, it's honestly kind of. Uh, stretched me a little too thin, uh, in terms of taking care of these kind of things, the things that really are important to me. Um, you know, the, hold on, I think I have my dryer or washer going and it's probably going to be very, very annoying in the background. It's okay. I, sorry for that pause right there. I wanted to get a little bit of snippet of what it sounded like. So if I need to, I can go back and kind of get it out of there, uh, edit it out. I can kind of do like a noise cancellation anyway. You guys don't care about that, do you? Uh, anyway, yeah, like I said, it's been it's been hard, uh, kind of balancing out that 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 work with uh, the things that I really like to prioritize in my life. And I guess what the reason I'm I'm going to talk this morning and the reason I'm sitting down right now and having a conversation is because uh, it's made me realize that um, in a weird way. It's it's kind of made me reaffirm a lesson that I think I've already kind of learned or, or even asserted at this on this podcast. That being, you kind of have to prioritize things in your life. You have to be very intentional about how you prioritize things. You can't um, assume that uh, just going into work every day is going to be enough, I guess. And I think this is an idea that a lot of people have. You know, I, I notice this in a lot of my friends uh, my age, a lot of people my age, especially people that went to college. Um, it's this attitude of like next step, next step, right? Uh, and because we were kind of the people that did go to college and that kind of stuff, kind of the uh, the group that depended on the next step for like personal success and satisfaction. Uh, now, when you get into the real world and there isn't any defined next step, your job becomes that. And so, I think a lot of people just tell themselves, "Okay, if I don't know what I'm supposed to do still, or I don't feel satisfied or fulfilled or anything like that, then uh, just keep on going into work, and it'll figure itself out." And I think that's a, a huge, 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 huge mistake, massive mistake that a lot of people make, because um, you don't want to do that. The reason you feel uncomfortable uh, is because you're not prioritizing something properly. Um, at least for me. Now, this may be so different for everybody else, but this is kind of what's bringing me to this realization is like I need to do some reprioritizing in my life because this right here, talking to you guys, is something that is extremely, extremely, it's the most important thing in my life right now. And I want to make sure that I'm prioritizing that properly. The fact that I haven't been on here talking to you guys demonstrates that I haven't I haven't had my, my life set up properly. Uh, and so one of my goals moving forward starting today, this week, is to reprioritize those things. And I'm going to be moving around my schedule uh, in whatever way possible, um, regardless of the consequences, so that I can do this more. And when I say regardless of the consequences, I think that's the part that a lot of people miss as well. It's like, okay, well, I want to reprioritize too. Let's say you have an idea of something that you're really interested in, something that you're really passionate about. Say it's cooking or something, but your job has these demands on you, right? 
uh, and you may have a lot of bills and things like that that you have to support, maintain. There's this whole structure you've created that you have to maintain that is based on the income that job provides, right? And so it kind of locks you into being in that place. If you're in that spot, then develop a strategy or plan to get to a place where you can prioritize the things you want to. You know what I mean? Um, I think a lot of things, a lot of times we want kind of, the grass is always greener effect is very strong wherever you're at. It's a, it's a perspective issue, right? That's why it's always true. You know, other people's perspectives do always look <laughs> greener uh, because people are very seldomly, I, th- I don't know why specifically this is, but I think it's because people very seldomly want to enunciate their suffering. And so they'll paint their lives in the picture of their lives as if it's something that's un, that, that, that's kind of better than it is because uh, not because they want to paint that picture. It's actually kind of a non-intentional effect of the way they describe themselves. It's more because they want them. It's, it's more, it's their ego. It's literally the description of themselves that they believe. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? People get so lost in the lie of what they are and who they are. And they tell themselves that over and over again, that when, uh, it does come time to make decisions when you come to crossroads. Uh, you can't disentangle the lies from the truth, who you really are from who you think you are. Uh, and when, you know, in the context that we're talking about in terms of a job or something like that, that can mean that you just default to going into work every day. And how many of you feel that way? You know, I know I'm not going to get an answer from this, <laughs> uh, but uh, I feel like that's a, a, a common problem, common issue that we're experiencing in today's society. I think the reason for that is because we're not properly identifying how to leverage each individual perspective in a way that would produce something novel out of that perspective. And that's what you're really here to do, I think. That's what each of us are individually here to do. You know, I've talked about speaking your truth. I think there's a reason I say speaking your truth is because it's it, there's something very unique about your perspective. There's something very individual about you, and we need you and that perspective. That's why you're here. Uh, we don't need you going in and producing for somebody else. We don't need you doing that. Because what that does is it makes other people rich. And it produces a system in which this this uh, we work for nothing more than to produce more of the thing that is valueless, which is the, the, the currency. And that's kind of what our economy has turned into. That's why the stock market's so crazy right now is because we are now actively realizing that we're trading in things that aren't real. That we've made this whole game... This game that assumes that it's the fundamental thing is based on some kind of fundamental assumption or the fundamental thing that, I don't know, there's some kind of fundamental assumption we've made politically and, and, and socially that like in, in, as a community that, that, that this economy that we've built, this structure, this way that you succeed is, is kind of by f- coming up with this scheme and figuring out how to get other people to run the scheme for you and then benefiting or profiting from it. It's a very, very, very dark idol to have but I think that this is like what we've been worshipping in a weird way if you want to criticize Donald Trump I think this is one of the ways you really can is because he's kind of the embodiment of this I think why there's such a, a visceral reaction to him in general amongst most people is, is, is even if you kind of like him you kind of hate him a little bit too right and I think that's this is why because I think he embodies this idea this idea very like he kind of is this idea embodied it's like this, at least the apprentice version of Donald Trump was, right? If you watch that show where it was like, like double down and uh, doubling down on kind of, um, uh, 
asserting that there's no necessity for ethics, that not only do you not need to operate in a moral way, but you don't even need to operate in an ethical way, that the ethical way of operating is actually kind of a, uh, a weight that'll hold you back. I think that is one of the things that The Apprentice, that show, demonstrated to people that actually encouraged it inside of them. Now, <clears throat> I think it's telling that he's now our president, right? I don't get political too much, right? I hope, I hope, actually, uh, that you have a hard time telling which way I lean politically. I hope that I'm doing a good job of that because that is very intentional. I don't want you to know what my political views are. I don't want you to associate with me with any one group because I'm not part of any one group. Neither are you. You shouldn't associate yourself with that either, right? You should be the thing that is independent, that speaks their truth, that enunciate where they don't agree with the group. And they raise fucking hell about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? The problem with that, too, is we have to make sure that we're talking from a place of truth. And, and to get there takes a lot of work, right? To get to a place where you know that you're saying something that's true. Isn't that funny? You have an innate compass, an innate ability to know what's true, but you've hidden it from yourself. When I say we've hidden the tools from ourselves, this is partially what I mean. Partially. This is one of the pieces. But you've hidden the tools from yourself to tell where you're supposed to go, where you're supposed to be. You have this internal compass this thing that guides you, that tells you when you're doing something right or wrong. You can, you, can, you can feel when you're on the right path, when you're reverberating, when you're resonating by this time elongation, this time dilation, this time stoppage effect. We've gone through all of this before, right? You can, you can identify all, this, all these times. And it's by following that that you figure out where you need to be. It's by defaulting to the things that people tell you, where you, lead you that leads you further away. By thinking that you figured out that there's a way to scheme in this world and that's how you get ahead that you can scheme you can figure out how to trick the world itself the whole system itself into just providing you with comfort and that the way that we get ahead in this world is by figuring out what our version of that is no 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 no. you need to figure out a version of something but it's not some version of taking advantage that's not what you need to figure out you need to figure out some version of what's your responsibility in this world what do you have responsibility to do in this world what are you supposed to pick up? Who are you supposed to be? What work are you supposed to do? What do you not look at inside of yourself? What thing devolves you when you don't know? When you're not, when you're not, when you're not realizing it? What words do you speak that aren't true? You know when they're not true. Don't do that anymore, kind of a thing. You know what I mean? We have an incredible responsibility, each of us, individually, to enunciate this perspective and and, and that responsibility entails doing the work to get to a place where you know how to enunciate it. I think part of the reason for education itself is not to tell people... I think the only reason for education itself is not to tell people how to think, which is something that our education system has gotten very, very, very fucking wrong. You're not supposed to tell people how to think or what to think. You're supposed to give them the tools to enunciate their perspective so they can think. What we've done is created an educational system that doesn't give people the tools to think for themselves. It gives them in effect propaganda. It, I'm trying to search, search for the word, guys. Sorry, there's a word I'm trying to pick out here, but it's, it's not coming to me. Um, I lost my train of thought there too. I'm sorry, maybe I was supposed to stop there. 
school is, we haven't talked about education. I know this has been disjointed this, this far as well. And the reason for that, like I said, is because I haven't been prioritizing this properly. And so this is going to be a little chaotic for a second, again, until I get back to a place where I'm, I'm back on track with this, right? Because it takes genuine effort. It takes priori- prioritization. You need to make this thing the thing that's important. And I hope that by doing this, I can show you how easy it is to get off track by using this podcast. I, that's what I'm trying to do here if you haven't figured that out yet, right? Is like I'm trying to use my life in this podcast to demonstrate how you apply these ideas in your life. Because these, these ideas, the philosophical ideas we've talked about thus far are so, and the religious ideas we've talked about are so hard practically. They're hard concepts to grab onto that practically you, we most, most of the time identify, we devi- define them as impractical or simple metaphors, but they're not. They're very, very practical tools that we have to search for that, that, that usability. Uh, you, have to, you have to search for how to apply those rules, those lessons, those, those metaphors in your life. And I hope that by going through my life and trying to identify where I need to do that, uh, it helps you enunciate or identify in your life where you need to do that. I can't do that for you, but hopefully, like I said, through doing it for myself, uh, I can help other people do that too. Now, I think every all of us individually need to figure out a way to do that for other people, Right? That, that where we can in some way leverage our experience and our perspective, the suffering we've experienced in our lives, and give and, 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 and instead of passing that on, like I've talked about before, you know, we're talking about, we talked about all the seven deadly sins and kind of, I think it was the last episode where it was this idea of like, you know, the passing on of suffering. I think this is the passing on of evil. Evil begets evil. I think this really is true. It's like you pass on your suffering to other people and the only way that we get away, over that is by... Um, finding a way to forgive people for the suffering that they imbue inside of us um, and realizing truly and utterly that it is not their fault, uh, that it is no one individual's suffering is not any one individual's fault, even the suffering you feel, even the suffering that they directly kind of, um, what's the right word? Even in the physical sense, if it was directly related to them, right? If I'm, I mean, like, if, if that person is the only one that you could identify that would have hurt, have hurt you in this way, right? It doesn't matter who's responsible, I guess is what I'm saying. You, the physical, like, identification of somebody, like, it's your fault, that is something we got to stop because it's what passes on and creates the evil and the suffering. I was rec- recently, uh, was it last night or two nights ago? I think it was two nights ago. Um, I was uh, upstairs doing dinner with my friends, you know, and uh, and I had watched the movie Honey Boy um, before, but I hadn't watched it with my friends, and, it, you know, we were trying to find a movie to watch, and I was like, you know, we should watch Honey Boy, and um, I don't know if you've seen that movie. Uh, if you haven't, please, please, please watch that movie. It's so good. It's about Shia LaBeouf and his life, uh, but it's played by, Shia LaBeouf plays his father. Uh, and it's about kind of his him growing up, you know, in the role of even Stevens and what his life was outside of that, growing up with his father. It, it, um, to kind of sum it up for you, he did not have an easy childhood by any means, right? By any measure. Uh, we we're watching this movie, and one of the things that really, really hit me, and uh, it's hard if you watch that movie as a tearjerker, man. I don't know how you get through it without crying um, because it's so deep. But it, it, this is the idea. It's, it gets to and it gets at is is releasing kind of the uh, the hurt you feel inside, um, letting go, 
because it's the thing that will twist you and eat you up. It's the thing that will devolve you without you knowing it, right? It's the thing that will trick you into thinking you're something you're not. It's this, it's this hurt, right? It's like that original hurt. We talked about Cain and Abel, right? It's like that original, and the idea of original sin is kind of this, right? It's this passed down thing. This thing of, of, there was this act of, of, of evil that was, that, that brought it into the world, that there, there, there is, or at some point was this conception of a world without evil in it. And that's this idea of paradise. That's this idea of heaven. That's this idea of Adam and Eve before the fall, right? <clears throat> before temptation comes in. But it comes in. And you see from this initial act of evil, the original sin is usually associated with Adam and Eve and the apple, right? Eating from the forbidden tree, the tree of knowledge. For those of you who don't know the story of Adam, Adam and Eve, um, Adam and Eve were, the two, were God's first creation, first man and woman. Uh, but in the way that we taught, think about it, they weren't the first real human being. That would be Cain and Abel, because Cain and Abel were actually born in the way human beings were born. That's what the way you can conceptualize it, right? Adam and Eve in the story of the Bible were created directly by the hand of God, right? Uh, Adam created out of clay, I believe, out of the earth. Uh, and Eve created from, I think, both clay and then a rib from Adam, one of Adam's ribs. And uh, the idea being that I'm getting at is that you have these two beings that were in this perfect kind of sleep, this slumber, in the in the story of Adam and Eve, their their eyes are closed, or there's usually like a like a veil or leaves or something like that put over their eyes when they're in paradise. Uh, so there's a sleeping quality to them, this 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 uh, non-awake state. And and you do you know this it brings up this this old saying, ignorance is bliss, right? It's kind of that idea encompassed, encapsulated, and ignorance ignorance is bliss, but. In that story as well, God lays out one rule, just one, and it's that you can't eat from the tree of knowledge, which is one tree that bears fruit, and it's called the tree of knowledge, but that's a a deep idea too, right? It's like this idea of the, the tree being the source. The tree being the source of everything, kind of. Uh, and I think the metaphor being man being so audacious as to assume that that he or she could understand the whole creation, the whole being. It's the original sin, that pride, that that fall from grace. It's the original sin committed inside of the of Adam and Eve. That was also the original sin inspired inside of Lucifer himself before the fall, which is why you see the, 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 you know, the number, the mark of the beast on people. It's his pride, right? And all of the other things that fall out of it, right? You can track all of the other seven deadly sins inside of pride, right? We talked about how those all relate. They all kind of connect. But pride is kind of the ultimate one because it kind of, it, it like, within it, it has all of the other seven deadly sins. With pride, you won't even think about the other ones, right? You'll just deal with them. That's the idea. But the devil tempts 
you know, and there's this fundamental disagreement between, you know, God and, and Satan. And he has this, this wager that he makes with Satan, we've talked about, or with God, right? He despises, he gets jealous and wrathful. He despises the way that God loves his creation, loves this thing he's created, because God also created angels, right? And so there's this, there's this, uh, there's this, this jealousy that, that kind of fills the character of Lucifer. And it causes him to kind of not only confuse himself with God and think that he could make it better, do better than God could, but also causes him to kind of corrupt or attempt to corrupt the creation that God loves so much. And so he tempts Adam and Eve in the form of a snake or at least that's the assumption. The snake isn't necessarily always associated directly with Satan or Lucifer himself. The snake itself is more like a, uh, isn't, I, I believe it's like a symbol of logic or something like that. Right. Um, but what is it? Let me see. Let me see. Actually, let's, let's look this up. You know, I'm sitting here like guessing and stuff. I have a computer in front of me. I guess I could actually look it up for you guys. Couldn't I? Let's do that real quick. Um, what does the snake in the Garden of Eden represent? Oh, sorry guys, that kind of, my mic went flipping around. Uh, the Hebrew word nakask, let me serve it's in the Bible. Uh, in one of the oldest stories ever written, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, yeah, okay, so this is one of the original stories, original religious writings. Uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is an epic poem from ancient Mesopotamia, that is often regarded as the earliest surviving great work of literature and the second oldest religious text after the pyramid texts. The literary history of Gilgamesh begins with five Sumerian poems. Gilgamesh loses the power of immortality, stolen by a snake. The serpent was widespread figure in the mythology of the ancient Near East. Ouroboros is an ancient symbol of a serpent eating its own tail that represents the perpetual cycle, renewal of life, the eternal return in the cycle of life, death, and rebirth, leading to immortality. Archaeologists have uncovered serpent cult objects in Bronze Age strata at several pre-Israelite cities in Canaan. In the Hebrew Bible, the book of Genesis refers to a serpent who triggered the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, 1-20. Serpent, if you want to look this up and read this, guys, it's very interesting to follow along. If you do have a Bible or something, you want to you want to read these stories as I'm talking about them. I'll try to put in kind of where it is in the book so you can find it. But Genesis 3, 1 through 20 is, is the Garden of Eden, the story of Garden of Eden. Serpent is also used to describe sea monsters. Examples of these identifications are in the book of Isaiah, where a reference is made to a serpent-like dragon named Leviathan. Yeah, we know about Leviathan. It's a creature with the form of a sea serpent from Jewish belief referenced in the, in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, Leviathan is is this uh, is a sea creature. It's this. Um... So there's also a. Uh... Let me. Hobbs Leviathan. Let me. Sorry, guys. Hold on one second. Yes. Okay. So th- I, I thought so. So Thomas Hobbs is a. Uh, um, here, let me, let me 
read about him. He was a philosopher. Uh, Thomas Hobbes was an English philosopher considered to be one of the founders of modern political philosophy. Hobbes is, all, is best known for his 1651 book Leviathan, in which he expounds an influential formulation of social contract theory, in addition to political philosophy. So I read a lot of Hobbes when I was in political science uh, in my political science classes. Uh, like I said, he's very, very, very uh, popular political philosopher. Uh, thinker and uh, his his idea of Leviathan is often used to kind of uh, uh, describe the way in which people interact with with systems of of scale. Um, so, but the the book was titled Leviathan. Uh, its name derives from the biblical Leviathan that we were just talking about, the serpent or the sea creature. The work concerns the structure of society and legitimate government, and it was a, and is regarded as one of the earliest and most influential examples of social contract theory written during the English Civil War. It argues for a social contract and rule by an absolute sovereign. Uh, sovereign, for those of you who don't know, is the full right and power of a governing body over itself without interference from outside sources or bodies. Political theory sovereignty sovereignty, sovereignty is a sub substantive term designated uh, designating supreme legitimate authority over some polity. Okay, Hobbes wrote that the Civil War and the brute situation of a state of nature, the war of all against all, could only be avoided by strong, undivided government. So um, Hobbes was very... Uh, he's a fan of, of large government, large control, right? From what I can pick up from there, it's been a while since I engaged with these things, but I can. it does seem like that, because I did read Leviathan excerpts of it in school, and I remember I wrote a paper actually on it. Um, and for, let me try to describe what Leviathan in is in, in the way I conceptualized and wrote about it, and then we'll try to read the description of it, uh, kind of what the book talks about real quick, and see how close I can get. Right? Um, but the idea of Leviathan, from what I understand, is um, <clears throat> what you want to imagine is kind of, I want you to imagine kind of um, take the United States, for example. And there's what, like 350 million people that live in the United States or something like that. Now, I want you to think about each individual person as kind of like a, like a, uh, uh, a mechanism. A, a, a deciding mechanism, Right. That, that kind of can 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 move things one way or the other. It's kind of like a, uh, it's an active arm, right? In the way that we're we're thinking about the the Leviathan, it's an active arm of Leviathan. Now, what Leviathan is is a combination of if there was an identity to the United States, most of us would probably think of kind of when you're at a football game or something, you you you'll feel this kind of very palpably when they do the the national anthem or whatever, right? It's this idea. It's it's this it's this it's this archetype, this grand personality that comes out, uh, that kind of overarches everything. It's kind of the grand personality that combines everyone. It's this big machine, and that in order to be a part of that, there is this certain amount of autonomy that one has to give up, right? Because you are this like, as an individual, you are this active thing that has the power to choose. Like I just said, right? to do things in the world. Well, when you combine that into a large mechanism with other people, what happens is you also trade away some of that autonomy because the, 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 you're, you're kind of recognizing in some sense if you're combining yourself with a larger system that the system itself is more important than you, right? Uh, before you, because, it, because you're, you're giving up some of that control, right? Some of that ability to decide yourself, you're saying, hey, maybe that maybe the Leviathan can decide better. 
than I can individually on this and that and this and that. Now, where we usually go wrong is in deciding where Leviathan takes control and where Leviathan doesn't, right? What do I have control over and what does the, the, the country have control, the government have control over, right? The polity. There's this, um, but this identity can be corrupted just like any other identity. And you see this identity breaking apart in the United States as well. This, I, I, this Leviathan identity that I would associate with like patriotism, U.S. patriotism, right? You saw it start with kind of the, 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 the Colin Kaepernick scandal, right? With all the kneeling and shit like that in the, in the, in the NFL. You, this, I don't know if that was the beginning of it, but you see this breaking away, right? This very intense kind of fight. And that's, I think, why it was so intense and why people got so worked up is because really what we're fighting over is like, hey, are we a part of Leviathan or not? Are we a part of this like kind of idea of what we are or, or are we not? You know, this idea of what the United States stands for, is that something that we all agree to any, uh, still or no? And I don't think we settled that conversation, so it's devolved. And now we're at a point where Leviathan doesn't exist right now, I don't think, in the United States. Uh, Leviathan's de- de- devolved in the in the way that, that Hobbes talks about it into something that's more like um, uh, miniature Leviathans each fighting each other, right? Um, so I'm not. It's gonna be. I can't read all of this, right? But that's my my understanding of Leviathan. It's this idea that anytime you get into a, a political system. You want to be a part of that political system. You have to trade away a piece of yourself, a piece of your autonomy to be a part of that machine, that mechanism, that monster, right? That Leviathan. And that what we've done, most of us in the United States, has created a system that we have said thus far is comfortable enough to allow ourselves to get lost in that Leviathan because we trust the system itself. We trust that the system has guardrails, that there's something morally right about the system we've set up. That's better than what we've had before at the very least. And that by following or allowing ourselves to kind of um, be a cog in that Leviathan, we're doing something good because we're, we're kind of, uh, it's a sacrificial spot, right? It's this idea that, you know, we're sacrificing our own individual perspective for the greater perspective, right? And we're willing to be a part of that American identity because of that. Not only are we willing to be a part of it, we want to be a part of it, right? Most people do. That isn't... There's also, so here's, let me, before we move on though, because Leviathan's a very complex idea, because you can also think about this, like, so I want you to, like I said, I want you to think about a big ass, like, monster that's nothing but the conglomerates of all of the individual people. So the muscles themselves are nothing but people holding each other, right? Like, holding on to each other. The bones are the same thing, right? It's all, it's literally, imagine a person that is a conglomerate, a big monster that's a conglomerate of little people walking around and doing things, right? Who's thinking for that? So that's one of the problems right away, right? It's like, okay, well, we can all say that we each individually equally give up some autonomy to be a part of this mechanism. But then who decides, you know, who who, who decides? Who's driving it, right? If somebody's going to drive it. So another thing that can happen when you, when you have a Leviathan that's created that way is it also creates a vacuum in a sense. If you don't have a structure in place that defines exactly who runs that thing like that properly, and that can keep people in line and all of their immoral and unethical behavior in line, what will happen is somebody will take control of that motherfucker. 
<laughs> and they'll try to start steering the whole thing. The way that you get massive groups of people to do really horrible shit is you get them to give up, give themselves up to this idea of Leviathan, this group think, this group identity. And then you steer it. Just point it in a fucking direction. That's all you got to do. You know what I mean? And then people will go do things for you. The active extensions, right? The arms that actually make things happen in the world, that Leviathan will go off into the world and start fucking shit up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and that's really what's happening right now, I think. We have a Leviathan that's being fought, like the control for that thing is being fought over. You know, if you imagine the head is kind of like the control room, I imagine like, it's like that Inside Out movie, the Disney movie, their Pixar movie, whatever it was. It's kind of like that. There's like these like individual personalities inside of like the Leviathan's head, like these individual people. And they're literally fighting over who's controlling the fucking thing and which way it's going to go. And so the Leviathan's just like bouncing around fucking everywhere. Like, and that's us, like as the polity. We're just being bounced around like a fucking bouncy ball, being fed misinformation and, and all this other bullshit to try to get us to go in a certain direction. And it's because there's so many fucking egos out there trying to get us to go in different directions. We feel pulled in 90 different ones. And there's a reason you feel that way. It's because it's true. That's exactly what's happening. Everybody's trying to seize power. <laughs> Everybody. Not only here in the United States. It's when it gets even scarier. You have people trying to seize power from us overseas as well. There's this idea of Leviathan that's on a larger scale. If you want to get bigger than the United States, you can get that idea all the way up to humanity in general, right? I think there's entities out there that are trying to scale Leviathan up to that size. This globalist mentality, I think, is real. And I do think there is a militant group out there somewhere. I don't know who's pulling the strings, but is trying to get this motherfucker to burn down because they understand that there's control in it. I don't know if they're trying to get it to burn down, but they're trying, they're trying to, they're trying to get people scared enough to where they will burn it down. You know what I mean? And I think it's because there's this idea that we all need to combine into the human collective. I think it's really been, it's been perverted though. I think there's like this kernel of like, like, I don't know what it would be called. What, what, the best way to define it would be. It's like, there's this kernel of like, beauty in the idea of combining you know kind of getting everybody to kind of view each other on a on a human scale on a world scale yeah like ideally it's an ideal right um it fails to understand or, or properly enunciate the complexity of the system that we're dealing with and because of that i think what we're doing is we're trying we're trying to scale this idea of leviathan up so that people can seize control over it it's not for this altruistic purpose it's because we have people that have identified we have egos running around that want total power they're unquenchable we have egos running around that have an unquenchable thirst all of those seven deadly vices you know all of those are unquenchable. They'll continue. You'll, you won't be able... If you if you try to double down, let's say you're prideful and you want to fill that fucking void that you feel inside with more more things that make you prideful. If you depend on your ego to, to hold you up, to be who you are, to make you what you are, the things that you surround yourself with, if you depend on those things, uh, you're going to need more of them to, to support the weight of what you are, what you're creating, the monster you're creating. So you'll just have to continue to fucking buy bullshit 
and, and, and consume bullshit. And it happens at the highest scale with pride. If you carry that idea out long enough, let's say you have the means and the capability to have everything you've ever wanted and you've gone and done it and you've done it in insidious ways. You've done it in morally and ethically un, 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 untenable ways. And you've been rewarded for it. What are you going to continue to do? You're going to do the same shit over and over again, right? Except you aren't properly identifying that there is a fundamental flaw in that assumption. That there's good in you being or you feeling good. There's inherent good in you feeling good, which is a fundamental fucking wrong flaw. And so what you'll do as a person or an individual is go out into the world and continually feed that gluttonous fucking thirst you have for power or food or money or whatever the fuck it is. You'll just feed it and feed it and feed it and you'll degrade and tear apart the world around you while you do it. And if you have that happening at the highest level, what it looks like is people trying to take power and doing it in insidious ways. I think there's people that have everything they could possibly imagine in this world and are still thirsty for more. And so they're trying to take it right now through a series of, 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 of mis, through, through, through a campaign of misinformation, confusion, and violence. There's intent behind what's going on right now, and I think there's a lot of egos all playing the same game at the same time. Anyway, I want to kind of bring it back a little bit to the serpents and stuff, right? But we want to, let's finish our story about the Garden of Eden, right? <laughs> um, and the idea we were talking about there was like this passing on of evil, but this is where it starts, right? Is like this, this original sin, um, the devil, you know, or the attempts, I don't know how we got in Leviathan. Oh, because of the serpents. Okay. So, um, but obviously there was a reason I was supposed to talk about that, right? The, the serpent tempts Adam and Eve. Uh, and in the Bible, it, I believe Eve eats from the tree and then gives the apple to Adam, and Adam eats from the apple as well. But they both eat from it, right? And as soon as they do, this is a very important part of the story, as soon as they do, the scales from their eyes fall off. And the first thing they realize is that they're naked. So what do they do? They cover up. What that is showing you, it's such a deep fucking story. What that's showing you is that you create your own insecurity. The things that you're insecure about, you made. You created that. You chose that. You're insecure about things because you're not sure you made the right choices. You're worried that you're in so much control. You actually believe you're in that much control. That you could actually fuck this thing up. <laughs> actually believe that. And because of that, it's allowed you to, to eat from the tree of knowledge, right? To trick yourself into thinking you're the thing that can... That can handle that kind of onslaught. You gotta think, like, what that represents, the tree of knowledge, that's every, that's like everything that's been, or been, or it will be. Trying to, to, thinking that you're enough to handle that, to even hold all of that. It's like trying to use a fucking USB stick to, to store, like, five terabytes of movies or some shit. It just doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't, you're not the thing that can do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Trying to, and assuming you are, is exactly what will make you insecure or realize how fucking insufficient you are. That's why the scales fall off their eyes. That's why they see that they're naked and they feel, they feel insecure about it and they cover up. Before trying to assume that there's something that should know all of that, they didn't even realize they were naked, so they had no insecurity to worry about. See what I'm saying?
It's a metaphor for life. It's kind of what sets up the thing I was talking about. You're born perfect. You were born perfect. Every single person is born perfect. It's why we know. It's why we can't help but look at babies. That's why we all go. Oh, you know what I mean? Like when you look at them, like oh my god, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> because it's potential, man. What you're seeing in that thing is not just. It's not just cuteness. There's a reason that that feeling is there. It's something so much deeper than that. It's unadulterated potential. That child is perfect because they could be anything and everything. But what we do is slowly but surely we trick that thing into thinking it's something that can steer the whole world. All of us do it. We've created systems designed to get people away from knowing. To get people away from truly just being. We have systems to get them to try. That all you have to do is try, try, try harder and the world will be a fair place. No, it won't. It would assume that you know what fair is and you don't. You're not enough. You know, you're enough to, 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 to try to start the idea of what would be fair for you. But as soon as you try to think about how that intermingles with another perspective or anybody else in this world, when you actually try to apply it, it becomes fucking lunacy. You become a maniac immediately. The world isn't fair. If you try to make it fair based on your perspective, you immediately become an evil fucking thing. Immediately. The scales fall from your eyes. And you'll start to become insecure too. Because you'll start to feel the weight of all the assumptions you just fucking made. <laughs> you're going to feel that weight. Because you're trying to pick up the responsibility of the world, man. And that's going to feel heavy as shit. That's a heavy ass fucking responsibility. promise you. <laughs> I've tried too you're not alone <laughs> you know what I mean I think everybody's tried at some point I just want to pick up the world carry it on my shoulders well, you're not enough you're not even close to fucking enough you're not even close to enough to be the thing that could see that path if you wanted to all you can do is see the path that you're supposed to walk and hope that 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 is is enough for you. But I think the reason I started this is 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 priorities, right? I needed to figure out, you know, we each come to points in time in our lives when we gotta shake ourselves awake, be like, hey, wake the fuck up. Losing track. Getting off track here. You know what I'm saying? We're not on the right path. We need to get back on the right path. You know when that's happening because that's what that's what you feel inside of your head, inside of your body, in, in your emotions, everything. You'll feel this disjointed feeling starting to grow, and it means you're supposed to do something different. Listen to it. You're not supposed to sit in that. You can. It'll just make you want to move more. You can't run away from those feelings either. If you run away from them, it's going to do the exact same thing. It's going to tear you apart because you're going to hide the solution from yourself. You know, that's so often people do that. You know, they'll, they'll like, they'll get so wrapped up in, 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 in thinking that there's no way out of the situation they're in when in reality, the, there is a very direct path out of where they want to be. They just don't want to look at it. They don't want to see. 
the answer to that. They don't want to because they because it requires a sacrifice. It requires vulnerability. It requires whatever the fuck it is, but it requires something you don't want to give, so you don't give it. But it's such a fucking travesty, man. You're selling yourself short. Because I promise you, if you if you do that, if you if you, if you kind of force yourself to sit in that that feeling long enough to where it makes it gets so unbearable that you move and do that thing that you are so scared of to do that you can't do you can't bring yourself to do if you if you sit in that feeling for long enough it will get you up don't run away from it embrace it and in like five minutes you're going to be so fucking done with that feeling that you're going to go do whatever it's telling you to do the way you identify the things you need you need to do in your life the way i did it, the way i've learned to do it like i said is by some, is, is in some ways identifying what i don't want to look at it is such a painful thing to do because it's it's annoying at a fucking level too it's like you just want to live your life right you just want to have fun you just want to enjoy it you just want to get to this point where you can just ah, kick back and fucking you know watch the sunset that doesn't exist if you're, you have meaning and, and potential and all that kind of stuff, but it takes energy to, to bring that into being. You don't get to kick back and watch the sunset and also have everything else too. It doesn't work that way. You got to sacrifice. You got to fight. You got to suffer. You got to choose the thorny path. And slowly but surely, that thorny path will lead you to where you need to be. And that's how you get everything you need. Not by kicking back first and just being like, all right, this is what I want. Bring it to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some fucking butler service or something, treating the universe and God itself as some butler service. That's what most of us do. Like, all right, I'm ready for my next thing, please. Bring it to me. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> Honestly, fuck you. That's how, If that's the way you think, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get to sit there by yourself with your feet up until you fucking turn into a flat, fat slob and can't move anymore. Yeah. Sorry if that's harsh, but I think people need to hear that shit. I need it to. I need it to. I need to hear it. When I listen back to this, I need to hear that shit. Don't be that thing that fucking sits back and waits for the world to do give it what it deserves. Don't don't do that. There's so many people like that. As soon as you embody that kind of perspective, you become like 99.9% of these fucking sheep out here. You do the exact same thing. You just wait for everybody else to solve your fucking problems. And then when they don't, you blame them for it. You tear down society, right? Don't be that thing. Be something better than that. And I think with that, guys, that's the <laughs> unfounded podcast for this episode. Like I said, this is going to be a lot more um, prevalent uh, coming up. Because like I said, I'm going to be adjusting my schedule around. I don't know exactly how that's going to be, but at the very least... Um, I'm going to make sure that I have time, the flexibility. Part of the problem with this podcast is it has to be flexible. It hits me in waves, right? And so there's time, a lot of times recently that I've been at work where I'm like, I just get into these modes where I just talk, right? And I need to be sitting in front of a mic when it happens. Uh, but it, when I, you know, having a scheduled job like that, it doesn't work very well. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and, and I can't force it. It's not like I can like hold on, like save that idea or something and like go bring it up later. No, 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 no. Cause like it all comes in the moment. You know what I mean? I don't. When I say I'm, unf I'm unfiltering myself, I really mean that. Like, I'm not, there's no planning with this at all, <laughs> right? So um, I think that's why it's meaningful. 
in a very weird way. And so I have to maintain that, but that requires me reprioritizing these things that I've recently set up. And we will see what that looks like, but you have to be comfortable with that process, right? Don't be scared of doing that. Don't be scared of change, right? In the, uh, I don't know if any of you guys like to, if you, any of you are into tarot at all, but there's a, uh, I do like tarot cards. I like the significance of the, the imagery, right? Uh, I notice the signs in my life a lot that you get from the tarot cards, right? <clears throat> the imagery. I notice the imagery in my life, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But I don't know why I brought that up. I don't know why I brought that up. Anyway, <laughs> I guess we'll just leave it there. Um, anyway, if you're interested in them, they are like the uh, the imagery and stuff. I, I do I do really like, uh, I think there's a lot more to this, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm having a hard time enunciating what I'm trying to say right here. There's a lot more to this and there's a lot of tools out there for you if you want to try to figure out um, what is going on here besides just the uh, story you've been told by the secular worldview. Um, there's a lot of ways you can figure that out. One of those tools is, 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 is tarot. So, um, anyway, um, I wish you guys the best. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it wasn't too disjointed. I know it was very unorganized because I have not been prioritizing this properly, but, uh, like I said, I'm getting that under control and we're going to get this sucker back rolling because I believe in this and I want to see it go somewhere. So I will, uh, talk to you soon. I hope you're doing well out there. You're staying safe and, um, ah, it's good to be back. <laughs> Bye-bye.